Bibles tonight, if you would, turn to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, appreciate that song tonight. And what a blessing to know that we have a risen Savior. He's alive and He is interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. And uh, not the religions of the world cannot say that. But we have a risen Savior, praise the Lord for that. He's conquered death, hell, and given us the victory. And so tonight we're going to talk about one of the institutions that the Lord established. And you know, sometimes when you read your Bible, it's important for us to understand who we are and why we're here. Uh, we are the church, we've been talking about this for the past two weeks, about the fact that the Lord came to this earth over 2,000 years ago, and when he came, the Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he was the Lamb of God. John the Baptist said when Jesus came as he was there at the Jordan River, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus came because no animal, no bull or goat or calf or lamb that was on this earth, no regular animal could atone for the sins of the world, your sins and mine, and that's why Jesus came. But when he came, he not only came to give himself, but he came to establish what we call, what the Bible refers to as the church. It's the institution in the New Testament, and that is the institution that God is choosing today in this world to reach this world, to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're a part of, folks. And listen, I'm going to tell you, I, get, I have to watch myself because I get easily aggravated sometimes with the younger generation. I mean, I love them, but a lot of times I'll ask them, so what do you want to do with your life? I don't know. Uh, what do you think you're going to do when you graduate? I don't know. Uh, well, you know, you're going to get a job? Are you going to go to college? I don't know. In other words, there's no understanding, no purpose for their lives. Uh, and we need to understand what our purpose is, that God has given to us as his church a purpose. And as we think about that tonight, I can't think of a better place to go. One of my favorite portions here in, in the Bible, Acts chapter number 2, verse number 41. And if you're able to tonight, let's stand out of respect for the word of God in verse number 41. We'll read down to verse number 47, and with this thought in mind, doing church on purpose. Doing church on purpose. Why are we here? Acts chapter 2, verse 41. The Bible says, and you follow along, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, how often? Daily, such as should be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. 
Pray that you'd bless your word as we heard this morning, your wondrous words. Lord, may we understand how wonderful the church is tonight. Help us to understand our purpose and may we be a part of this institution that you began and understand why we're here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when you think about this portion of scripture, I think it's safe to say that in this day and hour that we live in, and one of the reasons we're here as a church is to be a teaching institution. God's given us his word. We heard this morning that one of the references to the Bible is the word law, and the word law in the Hebrew is translated Torah, which basically means instruction and teaching. And God has many wonderful things that he wants to teach us out of his word. So tonight, even though I'm the teacher, really, God by his Holy Spirit is going to teach us something about the church. Why we're here, what's the purpose? Because a lot of people have different views and different ideas about what the purpose of the church is. Some people think a church is a place to come and to meet friends. Some people think the church is a place maybe to help and to reach out into the community. Some people think it's a place, maybe if there's some type of counsel or something that they need for their family, that they can come to the church and receive some of that counsel for their family. But what I want to answer tonight from the Word of God is, what is the biblical purpose of the church? What does the Bible say about the church, the purpose that we're here? Why did Christ establish the church. Remember what he told Peter? Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why did Jesus establish the church? Certainly he could have done it without the church. Do you understand that tonight? He could have done it without the church, without you and me. But what is it that he expects of us to do for him and to do it through the church? And so as we look at the, the model tonight, again, when Jesus came, what did he do? We saw two Sunday nights ago what the Lord Jesus Christ did was he began to call out his disciples. And remember, those original 12 were not only disciples, but they were the apostles. And those individuals became the foundation of the church. They were the followers of Christ in the early days as he, in a sense, pastored them. And as he began to teach them and train them that when Jesus went back to be with the Father, that he left his work in the early stages up to these individuals we know as the apostles. And so he, he gave to them what the Bible refers to in the passage tonight. We just read it, the apostles' doctrine. Now remember, it wasn't theirs. It was what the Lord Jesus gave to them. It's what he taught them. And by the way, that same body of doctrine that he taught them and gave to them is what we still believe today. If somebody says, what do you people believe at Bible Baptist Church? We believe the exact same doctrine that Jesus taught his disciples while he was here on this earth. See, we haven't come up with a new set of rules and a new set of standards, and it's not what Bible Baptist Church wants, it's what thus saith the Lord. We're, we're all about the Lord's doctrine, his teachings, and the beliefs that he taught his disciples. So when we look at the model, which again was the church in Jerusalem, at that time it was the only church. Now originally it was Jerusalem, 
Then it spread out to Antioch, and then there were other churches established. We see in our Bible, even in the letters in the New Testament, you see the church in Rome, the church in Colossae, the church in Ephesus, and on and on and on. You go to the book of Revelation, you see the churches in Asia Minor, those seven churches that are mentioned. There were other churches. Why? Because people were getting saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, began in Jerusalem. And it began to spread from Jerusalem into other cities and other countries. Aren't you glad that that gospel made its way across the ocean to the United States of America? And so we, have, we are benefactors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that someone brought the gospel to my land, my country, and that I could know Christ as my Savior and that is why we need to be a part of God's work. Now, when we look at the church, the first church that was in Jerusalem, I want you to look with me tonight at a threefold purpose that will help us to understand exactly what God expects from us, how that we should carry out our purpose just like any other local church. So notice, first of all, tonight, one purpose of the church is to be loving God. We are, as a church... To be loving God. We gather to express our love to God. As a matter of fact, the Bible, listen to this, commands us. It doesn't ask or suggest. The Bible commands that we love God. Old Testament and New Testament. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 6, 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Over in the New Testament, Mark 12, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Look, it, it, it didn't change from Old Testament times to New Testament times till 2018. We are still commanded as the people of God, as the church, that we are, that's the starting point, folks, is that we are to love God. If you don't love God, you can't love your neighbor. You can't love others according to the scripture. And so we need to have a heart relationship. And we need to be growing in that relationship with God because that becomes the foundation. Listen now, that relationship that you have in your heart with God becomes the foundation of everything that's going to happen in your life. We call that our walk as a Christian. By the way, I'm setting the stage here tonight and I'm going to follow the scriptures but everything I'm going to say from this point on is launching out from your love for God. So we've got to make sure that our love for God is right first and foremost before we get into some of these other things about the purpose of God. See, a lot of people in their lives as Christians hear what they do is they go through the moments of loving God, loving God, but only true love for God will sustain us for lifelong growth in our relationship with him. In other words, there has to be a genuine love for God. A lot of times people say, I love God. Remember what, remember what Peter said after he denied the Lord and then the Lord came back after he was crucified and risen and he said to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times, did he not? And remember what Peter's response was like a lot of ours. Well, Lord, you know I love you. And the Lord says, show me, demonstrate your love for me. 
by the very things that we do. And look, folks, I'm going to tell you, you've got to understand, first of all tonight, letter A, that loving God, it commences at salvation. Commences. That's the beginning of your relationship with the Lord. Look, folks, before you're saved, you don't have a relationship. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we are enmity against God, that we are enemies of God, that, that look, we, we are against God. We were like Saul of Tarsus, kicking against what the Lord was wanting to do in his life. And so we think about loving God at all salvation to truly worship God if we're going to come and worship him it all begins first of all by knowing him by having a personal relationship with him well there are only there's only one way to have that personal relationship and it is through salvation if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your savior that is first and foremost in your life I hope that you've settled that I hope you've had a time and a place that you can think back, go back in your mind, in your heart, you know that you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not trusting in what you can do. It's not what church you attend or what church you're a member of or how good you've lived your life. The Bible says that we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There has to be a time. And so this loving God begins with salvation in Acts 2.41, here's what the Bible says, then they that gladly received his what? His word. These were people that heard the word of God. When Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and Peter preached to those 16 different nationalities, you know what Peter's message was that day? I preached pretty much the same type of message every Sunday morning. Somewhere along the way, it's about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because we need to be constantly reminded of the fact that the only way that a person can be saved is to believe in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And the death, burial, and resurrection, that's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, that's what you find the Bible says is that is the gospel, it is the good news. And Peter stood that day and he preached that message and many people heard him preach. Now the Bible does say that there were many that day, we know 3,000, believed the message. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They gladly received his word, the word of God. And they believed on Christ. And you know what happens when a person believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ died for their sins, that they are a sinner, and that Christ loved them while they were yet sinners, and they put their faith and trust in Christ? They began a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that relationship is a neat one because it's a secure relationship. Remember what Jesus said, and I give unto them what kind of life? Everlasting life, eternal life, right? He, he, look, the Lord gives them a secure relationship. Look in your notes, John 1.11. He came unto his own, talking about Jesus coming to this earth, coming into this world. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, in other words, believed on him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. See, when we're saved, we're not only forgiven of our sins, but we are 
placed, according to John 1, verse 11 and 12, we're placed into the family of God. When you got saved, you became a child of God. Isn't it exciting? Listen, isn't it exciting that this time last week that there were five boys and girls that if they would have died and went out into eternity, that they, they would have gone to a place separated from God for all of eternity. But because this church put a vacation Bible school program on and shared the simple truth of the gospel, when those boys and girls came, that now those five boys and girls are now on their way to heaven. That they have an eternity with the Lord. See, we need to understand, loving God, we become a son or a daughter of God for all of eternity. Jesus said in John 10, he says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man, listen, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That personal pronoun, my, it's talking about the hand of Jesus. The hand of Jesus is the hand of God. There's nothing, listen, not even the devil, that's more powerful than God. And Jesus says, when you get saved, listen to me, when you get saved, you're placed in the hand of God. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm sharing the gospel with someone and, and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I go to that passage in John many times because I want to make sure that they understand that not only are they saved, but they're eternally secure. And so many times what I'll do is I'll stick my hand out as an illustration and I'll say this pen illustrates you and this hand, even though it's mine, let's say it illustrates God. And I said, when you got saved, you put your life, according to John 10, in the hand of God. And I said, here's what happened is, is that God wrapped his hand around you. I said, as a matter of fact, that was the son but the father has his hand around the son. I said, now you think about that. I mean, there might be a, a man here tonight stronger than me that can maybe peel my hands back and take that pen out of my hand. But the Bible says that no man shall be able to pluck you out of my hand, the hand of God. That's how secure we are, folks. See, this matter of loving God, it all begins at salvation. It all begins... With, with believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're safe and secure. Jonathan Edwards said, true love begins with God. Self-love begins with self. See, we need to love God. And, and many times in our lives, we are prone in our life to want to love God. But the reason that we want to love God is because we think that if we love God, that God will do something for us. Look, that's, that's the wrong motivation. I don't love God because I want him to do something for me. The truth is I love him because he loved me before I ever loved him. I love him because he gave his son that I can have eternal life. See, it is through salvation that God guarantees that he loves us. Look what the Bible says as John writes in 1 John 4. He says, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Notice the love that God hath to us. He says, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out 
fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. What a wonderful verse in the Bible. Folks, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners. God didn't say to you and me, hey, when you get your act together, when you get yourself all cleaned up, then we'll talk. Then I might consider saving your old wretched soul. No. God says, I will save you while you are in your sin. See, folks, listen, what I'm talking about tonight, I don't know how long you've been saved, but listen, I've been saved for 33 years, and I love God more every day than I did the day before, because every time I think about how he picked me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings, and I, I think about who I was and where I was when he found me, it excites me to no end, knowing that God loved me that much. And I hope you realize tonight how much God loves you. And there, there has to be this understanding of loving God. That is our purpose as a church, that the Lord doesn't want us to render service to him out of fear. God wants us to render service to him out of our love for him. And we need to make sure we love him. See, loving God is something that is commenced at salvation. But watch as we follow along tonight. Secondly, loving God continues. See, it begins at salvation, but it continues with identification. See, a lot of times people think they come here and, and they'll ask, you know, listen, I, I'm interested in your church. How do I become a part of it? Can I tell you tonight, this isn't some kind of club. Uh, it's not like there's a membership and there's dues. Understand tonight, we are the church of the living God. How do you become a part of this? Well, the Bible says here again, look at it. Then they that gladly received his word, they, they believed on the Lord. Look at the next couple words. Those that, were, that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day, not after they went through some course, not after they were put under a microscope, not after everybody tried to figure out if they really were saved or not saved. The Bible says the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So what began at salvation, that love for God, it continues with identification. These believers, they received the of salvation. They believed that Jesus Christ died for their sins. But watch this, after they believed... They were eager to make a decision for Christ. Now, what decision did they make? Public, scriptural baptism. See, sometimes people get saved, and you start talking to them about baptism. Well, why do we do that? Because according to the scriptures, it's the very next step in the life of a believer. Is A person is saved, and then they follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And many times, churches, what they do is they teach if you're baptized, you're saved. But the Bible teaches that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and those that gladly received the word were baptized. Baptism takes place after salvation. Are you with me tonight? Is this a Baptist church? All right, so look, we are a Bible-believing church. So here's the thing is, baptism identifies us with Jesus. Now, how does it do that? Well, think about it. Jesus went down to the Jordan River. There was John the Baptist. He was baptizing people 
that had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as they came to him, they went down into the water. They came up out of the water. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to John the Baptist, remember what John's reaction was? He says, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. John said, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoes. Talk about a, a humble attitude before the Lord. But Jesus said to him, I must needs be baptized. In other words, John, whether you want to or not, you're going to baptize me. And so the Bible says that Jesus and John went down into the... Now look, there was no miraculous healing powers or anything in that Jordan River. I stood at that Jordan River. It's just a muddy mess. I saw a place that was probably similar to where Jesus was baptized by John. Can I tell you, listen, Jesus was the Son of God. There was no sin in him, and our sin was placed on him. He was impeccable. Jesus didn't have to be saved like you and I. Amen? But Jesus chose to set the mode of baptism. Now, why that way? Because, again, people vary. Churches vary on the mode of baptism. Some churches sprinkle. Some churches, like our church, baptize by immersion. Why do we practice baptism by immersion? Because that's what the scriptures teach. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that sprinkling is scriptural baptism. As a matter of fact, it says that they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. And so as we understand and you study it out, the word baptize is actually the word baptizo. And the word baptizo means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. So when Jesus was baptized, he went into the water, he came up out of the water. When people stand in this baptismal pool back here, it's just regular water right out of the hose. Uh, it has been heated. People always appreciate that. They come into that baptistry, the water comes across their body, and watch this, they go under the water, and they come up out of the water. What's that a picture of? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a public statement of a private profession. See, a person that says, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can hear those words, but you can't see the change that has taken place. Now, it's not up to us to judge because no man can know the heart. But scriptural baptism, look, if somebody got saved, just like these people, they were eager, they were willing. See, when a person gets saved, they now have the Holy Spirit of God. They have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and so there should be a willingness to do whatever God wants them to do. I remember after I got saved, I was at Bible Baptist Church in St. Charles, Missouri, and 33 years ago, and, and two of the staff members, they told me, they said, hey, we're going to be doing some drywall work at the church. You want to come help us? That was code for them saying, hey, if you show up, we'll let you work and we'll help you. That was, that was their way of trying to get me to do some drywall work. And I, I was happy to do it. I showed up. You always worry about guys whenever they go to hang drywall with a ball-peen hammer. That's not how you put up drywall. Some of you have never hung drywall, I can tell. But you don't put it up with a ball-peen hammer. And so I got there, and I was helping them put some drywall up. And one of the guys, Chuck, said to me, he says, he says hey, he says, man, I'm so glad you got saved on Sunday. He said, uh, he says, have you thought about getting baptized? Now, I grew up Catholic. I had been sprinkled when I was a baby. I didn't really understand it all. But he said to me, 
have you ever thought about it? And I said, no, I really haven't. I said, what is it? Explain it to me. So he explained to me what scriptural baptism was, and he shared some of the very same scriptures I'm covering with you tonight. And here's what I did. I turned to him and said, well, if that's what the Bible says I should do, then let's do it. And he says, when do you want to do it? And I said, when's the next time I can do it? He said, how about Sunday? I said, I'll be here. Let's do it. You should see my baptismal picture. I was a gorgeous, long flowing hair. It was out all over. I'll bring it in sometime. You want to see a picture. You're going to take one look at that picture and go, that's our pastor. Yeah, I was a mess. Oh, I still am. But at least I got rid of the mustache. But here's the thing is, is, is understand that, listen, if, listen now, if God sent his son and Jesus died for your sins so you could go to heaven, shouldn't you by reason be willing to do anything he asked you to do? I mean, it stands to reason. Now, it's not like he's asking you to, to go run a marathon. The Bible says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In other words, those that got saved said, look, I love him because he loved me enough to die for my sins. I'll gladly identify with Jesus. I don't have a problem being a Christian. And I don't have a problem letting other people know that I'm a Christian. But sometimes people get saved and you talk to them about baptism and they're like, well, I, you know, I'm not ready for that. I don't want to do that. Now, I have had a few people over the years, and I'm not poking fun. I've had a few people over the years that were scared of water, had a phobia of water. And I still, over all these years, have never lost one person in the baptistry. Now, I baptized Jeff a couple weeks ago, and, and I tell everyone that I baptize, I'll say, now look, when I go to lift you back up, don't, don't let your feet go. But if they do, just remember one important rule. You're standing in three feet of water. <laughs> just stand up and you won't drown, you know? And I mean, just like everybody else, Jeff, he's like six foot whatever he was, and he's flailing, and I'm like, stand up, stand up. And he stood up, and he's like, oh, phew. Boy, you know, felt so bad. <laughs> but folks, understand, the water is not miraculous. It's a picture. By the way, it's one of the two ordinances. We celebrated the other one last week. It's one of the two ordinances that the Lord gave to the church. Why? Because it's a reminder, just like the Lord's table, of what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. He, he, he paid the ultimate price for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. So look, this loving God, the, the purpose why we're here is to love God. And it begins at salvation. It continues through identification. Now again, look what Romans 6, 4 says. If what I just said is not enough, let me give you some Bible to back it up. Look at verse 4 of chapter 6 of book of Romans. Therefore, we are, what's those next three words? Buried with him. Now he says, how are you buried with him? By baptism. Into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Do you ever hear when I baptize somebody? I'll ask, I'll ask them, I'll say, have you believed on the Lord? Yes, I have. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. And then I'll say to them, upon your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in death, 
raised to walk in newness of life. Where do we get that from? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. See, you begin this walk. It continues with identification. Baptism, again, is an outward picture of what Christ has done for us. It's a public profession that we are making a statement that we have chosen to live for him. It is that first step of obedience for a Bible-believing Christian. If you're here tonight, listen, if you're here tonight and you have not yet been scripturally baptized, then you need to, look, people say to me all the time, I'll pray about it. Why pray about it? The Lord, the Bible says, they that gladly received his word were baptized. The Lord set the mode. He wants us to follow it. If you've never been scripturally baptized, then you need to do that. Now, the reason is because when we are saved and we're not baptized, we're actually stunting our growth as a Christian. In other words, if you can't obey God in this area of baptism, then maybe you're not going to obey him in some other area of your life. So we need to be obedient to the Lord. The church at Jerusalem, you know why it was growing? You know why it was being blessed? Because people were being saved and they were being scripturally baptized. And all born-again believers need to be involved in a church where the word of God is being taught and preached. Even like tonight, I'm sharing with you Bible truth. It gives people an opportunity to grow in their love for God. Hey, listen, I think about vacation Bible school. I mean, those last two nights, it poured down rain. And we said, I mean, it was, I think it was Friday night, might have been Thursday, I think it was Friday night, we had like four people in the auditorium at 6.30. And by the time we got into our program, we had, we had 80 people. People came. And I think about our church family, how uh, somewhere between 40 and 50 people every night said, hey, look, I want to be involved. I, I love the Lord and I want to identify with him. So look, loving God, it, be, it commences at salvation. Are you saved tonight? Amen. It continues with identification. Have you identified your life with the Lord Jesus Christ? But look at the third thing I see, and we're just following Acts chapter 2. The Bible says here, notice letter C, that loving God, thirdly, is cultivated through worship. It's cultivated through worship. We can worship the Lord two ways. We can worship the Lord personally. You can come tonight, you can worship the Lord. I I watch some of you sometimes, and I, I love the fact that you allow the music, to help you to enter into worshiping God personally. Because that's what music should be. If it's music that honors the Lord, that glorifies God, it should help you prepare your heart. And I watch as some of you that you're singing and you're, you're, you're entering into worship personally. But then there's a second way that we can worship the Lord, and that's corporately, as a church. We come together as a church, and that's what we see here tonight, how that it is this corporate worship that really springs out of our personal worship, our individual worship. You see this passage here in Luke chapter 10 in your notes, and you you know this portion, pretty familiar, how the, the Bible says that she had a sister called Mary, and so we know this is about Martha, right? And so here it is, Martha had a sister called Mary, which also sat, notice, at Jesus' feet. And Mary, when she was sitting at his feet, she heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? 
bid her. In other words, tell, tell my sister Mary that she needs to help me. That's what she's saying. You know, just like any other siblings. I'm doing it all myself. Tell her to get up and help me. But notice how Jesus answers, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What's the part that Mary chose? She chose to worship the Lord. See, that she was cultivating her love for God. Now certainly, look, I don't mean to paint Martha out as a bad person because she wasn't. The truth was is she was very industrious. She was a good woman. She was busy for the Lord. But the Bible indicates that, listen, while she served, she was agitated. I've seen people sometimes, as they serve God in their spirit, they're agitated. And I'm thinking to myself, listen, do you understand what you're doing? You're serving God, but you're agitated about something while you're serving God. You know why that Mary, Martha was agitated at Mary? Because she missed the main point about being a follower of Christ. Here it is. The main point about being a follower of Christ is that we need to be spending time with Jesus personally. Look, it's wonderful to come together as a church. I love church. I'm glad you're here. I love to see anyone walk through these doors, but can I tell you, we have church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. What about the rest of the week? Do you worship God personally during the rest of the week? Because, look, if you're just banking on what you're going to get when you come here, then your relationship is not going to be cultivated through the kind of worship that the Lord wants you to have. Our love for Christ grows out of the time Listen, the time that we spend worshiping him. Listen, listen to what Warren Wearsby said. In the local church, there is always the danger that our love for Christ may become cold. Christ is more concerned with what we do with him than what we do for him. What we do with him than what we do for him. See, labor, as Wearsby said, is no substitute for love. Going back to the story of Mary and Martha. Labor is no substitute for love. In addition to just individual worship, we should also worship the Lord corporately as a, as a church family. And this is where you find verses in the Bible, like in your notes there, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And I'm glad that you understand this because you're here tonight the Bible says, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together. That's why we have church. And, and some people say, well, why do we have to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Where's that in the Bible? Well, I'll tell you what's in the Bible. They went to church every day. Do you want to change our service schedule? <laughs> I wonder how many people would really show up. But the Bible says to not forsaking. In other words, when the church doors are open. Now, it's interesting because the Lord always blesses, and I'm glad when folks come, but if you're around here and you're paying attention, we have, God blesses on Sunday morning, but notice there's less people here Sunday night. 
And if you come Wednesday night, there'll be even less people here on Wednesday night. That average is true in almost every church I've ever been in. You know what that means? That most people believe going to church one time somehow pacifies God. But what does the Bible say? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. When's the Lord going to come back? Soon. That's what we're hoping, right? But no one knows, right? According to the Bible, no one knows the day nor the hour. Could be today. Could be 100 years from now. Could be 1,000 years from now. Now, personally, when you read the scriptures, if you read enough, I believe that when you see the indicators in the world today, I believe that the time is pretty short. But I'm not a date setter. There's been a lot of foolish people that have tried to do that. And every one of them's been wrong because no one knows the day nor the hour. But I'll tell you this, that wouldn't you rather be ready when the Lord comes back than not be ready? Remember the story about the virgins with the oil? The five wise and the five foolish? See, when the Lord comes back, I want him to say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So when we think about this, it's important that we see, because when we come together, we worship God. Now, do you understand? Worship. Now, this is a word that people in a concept that a lot of churches have mishandled, misused, because to worship God means to ascribe worth to him. But see, when people worship today, it's all about praise and worship. It's about closing and tilting your body back and putting your hands in the air and kumbaya and all this type of stuff. Folks, that's all emotion. That's all man-centered. That doesn't honor. That doesn't please God. That puts all the focus on us instead of where it belongs. So when we come together to worship God, how do we do that? Well, when we come to worship God, the way God is that we can worship God through various different ways as we assemble ourselves together. We can pray to Him. We can worship Him through our praise, by our singing. That's how we praise the Lord. We can worship Him in other ways in our church. We can worship Him through our giving. We can worship Him through a spiritual meal that we get from the Word of God. Look what Paul says to those in Thessalonica, he says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And he says, and here's why it's so important that it was God's words and not man's words. It effectually worketh also in you that believe. So when we come together, look, when you don't forsake, when you, when you come together to exhort one another and so much the more, hey folks, that's why we have church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and Sunday school is because all of those times, it's different opportunities for us to come together as a church family, as a corporate to worship God. And we need to understand that we need to come together to worship Him. Somebody said, Someone said that it takes 90 gallons of water to baptize a Christian, but only nine drops of rain to keep him at home. It doesn't take much, folks. Let's not allow anything to keep us from worshiping the Lord. As a church, our highest purpose is to love God, 
to draw close to him. Listen, this, this evening, tonight, what you need to be asking yourself as we think about how it commences with salvation and how it continues with identification and it's cultivated through our worship is, do I love God the way that God wants the church to love him? That's the first question. But what's the second purpose of our church? Notice, secondly, is the purpose of the church is not only to love God, but it is to be growing together, growing together. What's the opposite of growing? Shrinking, dying, right? And so we need to be growing together. God didn't design the Christian life to be a one-time event. Now, certainly, you can look back and you, say, you can, might be able to say, hey, I got saved on such and such date, or maybe at a certain place or time. You can look back to that event. I can look back January 22, 1984, when I trusted Christ as my Savior. But listen, God, when he designed the Christian life, he designed it as a process. There's a biblical word that we use, that God uses, and it's called sanctification. See, when you got saved, you got justified. But from the moment that you were saved, it began this process. And that's why you read writings like the Apostle Paul and others like Peter and even John, how that in their lives that they were a work in progress. And Paul says, I've not yet apprehended. I'm not there. In the end of his life, he said, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith, but that was in the end of his life. So understand tonight that you and I, we need to be growing. When we get saved, God, you know what he does? He places a desire in our hearts to grow in him. Look back in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. The Bible says that they continued, look at the word, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in breaking of bread and prayers. Now, you know, over the years, I've heard this illustration. Some Christians, when they get saved, they're kind of like Alka-Seltzer. You know, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. You know, I've never, I've never done Alka-Seltzer in my life. My dad used to do it all the time. But do you know that if you leave it in water long enough, it'll quit fizzing? And do you know what happens to some people after they get saved? They're on fire for God, and then all of a sudden the fire goes out. And they're here today and gone tomorrow. But remember, the Christian life is a process. It's growing together. And it takes dedication in our lives to go forward for Christ in this area of growth. Well, how do we grow together? First of all, we grow together through doctrinal teaching. True, sound doctrine. You can't separate doctrine from real growth. Let me say that again. You can't separate doctrine, our beliefs and our teaching, from real growth. You, look, if we're going to be a church, we have to have a balance. That's what we're going to look at right here. The model, the first century church, there has to be a set of beliefs. Sometimes people, they look at our church website. Hey, we don't, we don't hide who we are, what we are. If we did, we'd just frustrate people when they come to our church. And a lot of times I'll talk to people when they walk in the door and I'll say, now how did you find, and they, many times the answer most of the time is, I looked on the website, I found you guys on, on the website, and I, I read some stuff about your church. You know what they did? They checked out what we believe. And it's important that people know what we believe. Can I tell you what we believe tonight? We believe the Bible. We believe the Word of God. Folks, it's important that we have 
the doctrine of the Word of God. And many groups today, here's what they're doing. They're calling. They've been begging and pleading to downplay Bible doctrine. You Baptists, you make too much out of doctrine. Really? Because you know what is the glue that holds the church together? That kept the martyrs together as they stood there and their bodies were about to be burned? The beliefs that they had in God. The beliefs they had in the Word of God. It's the glue that holds us together. And we need to make sure that we understand what we believe. Listen, I pray for our teenagers because as young people, they are bombarded every day of their lives at school and on media and all these other things about the many things that are trying to distract them and steal their hearts and lead them away from God. And that's why I'm glad they're here in our church because, listen, it's important, just like this last week with Vacation Bible School, that children and teenagers learn Bible doctrine because as they get older, they're going to be faced with every kind of, of heresy and man-centered teaching that's out there, and they need to know what they believe. Listen, Tyler's sitting here tonight. He doesn't need to believe something just because his mommy and daddy believes it. It needs to be something that it's because that's what the Bible says. And because the Bible says that, Tyler believes that. Because you know what? His mom and dad aren't going to be around all the time. But he can have the Word of God. He can have the doctrinal teachings of the Word of God. And many of these churches and religious groups, they, they often say this, and I don't know if you've ever read or heard this before, but they'll say things like this, that doctrine brings division. <laughs> Listen, folks, can I tell you, that if doctrine brings division, do you know what the Bible is? It's a book of doctrine. You know what they're saying? That the Bible brings division. You know what the Bible is? It's the Word of God. Do you know what Jesus is? He's the Logos. Jesus is the Word of God. Do you understand I could keep going with this? The ramifications of this wrong type of thinking that people have today. They say, listen, doctrine divides us, but look, our goal is, as Bible-believing Christians is not to be divisive. Our goal is to learn and understand what the Bible teaches. Look what it says here in 2 Timothy 4. Paul writes to Timothy and says, preach the word. Notice he didn't say stories, illustrations. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, Watch this, reprove, rebuke. He started with preach the word. See, it's not, Paul's not saying to Timothy, you need to rebuke people, you need to reprove people. See, he says preach the word because you know why? Because the word of God reproves, it rebukes, it exhorts with all long suffering and doctrine. Why? Because look at it, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I believe we're living in those days. And the Bible says here that after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I've seen people, and I don't like this, I don't like this, but I've seen people come into our church and they sit down and I can see by the look on their face when I'm reading and sharing verses from the Bible that are biblically doctrinal verses and I see the look on their face how that they, they don't agree with that. And oftentimes, if, if, if I may get the chance from time to time to talk to some of them. Sometimes they walk in church, they hear some of that, and they walk right back out. You know why? Because they're looking for someone just to tickle their ears. They don't want to feel bad about their sin. They just want to come and, and feel good. 
Now look, there's a lot of things in the Bible that do make me feel good. The love of God, heaven. There's a lot of things that make me feel good in the Word of God. But there's also a lot of things that make me feel pretty bad too. You know why? Because I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. Sometimes people say all the time, they'll come up to the preacher after the service, boy, preacher, you stepped all over my toes this morning. Well, guess what? He didn't even know he was walking over your toes. You know why? Because he didn't even know what sin was in your life, but God by his Holy Spirit did. And God took the word of God and applied it to your life. Folks, listen, that's happened to me so many times. Now, many times because I'm the pastor, God does that to me during the week while I'm studying these passages. You know, it, it's something that God needs to do in our lives because the time has come that people are looking for something. But you know what we need is we need sound doctrine. We need a solid set of beliefs. If somebody asked you today, listen to me, I'm, you don't have to answer. If somebody asked you today, so what are you when it comes to church? And you might answer them, well, I'm a Baptist. And if somebody asked you, well, what is a Baptist? Could you answer that? Because it's one thing to be a Baptist, but it's another thing to be able to actually, you understand it enough to tell somebody what a Baptist is. Now, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad tonight, but if you don't know how to explain, in other words, you don't, you don't understand what you believe, then you need to get in the Word of God, study the doctrines of the Word of God. Just because you're in a church or a member of a church doesn't, you've got to get into the Word of God and understand what the Bible has to say. See, the church of Jerusalem, folks, it was fulfilling its purpose because it was grounding people in the Word of God. It was teaching these new converts, these young Christians, the truth, Colossians 2, 7, rooted in, and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Look at this, rightly dividing what? Yeah, rightly dividing. You know what that means? To cut it straight. Folks, look, if, uh, anything that I say tonight, you, you can do like uh, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica because what did they do? They searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. If you hear something, then you ought to say, hey, listen, is that in the Bible? Uh, where is that in the Bible? What does the Bible say about that? A lot of times what we do is we want to go ask, look, I'm, I'm not poking fun, but a lot of times people go to Brother Flynn and ask him questions when they can take their Bible out and search the scriptures themselves. Do you know that I always find out more, and I, God always does a work in my heart, when I actually pick up the shovel and dig for myself, when I actually go to find the answer? Now, sometimes I can't, but you know what you have? You have the same thing Bill Flynn has. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, and the Holy Spirit of God will illumine you. He will help you to understand. He will shine the light on, on whatever it is that you're trying to understand. You don't have to know the Greek. You don't have to know the Hebrew or the Aramaic to understand the Word of God because you've got the Holy Spirit who will guide you in all truth. So when we look at this tonight, look, they were a church that was fulfilling their purpose because they were growing together. Well, how were they doing that? With doctrinal teaching. See, a lot of Christians today are, are tossed to and fro. You know why? Because they're not grounded in the Word of God. Years ago when I was working construction, we had this organization, they're still around, called OSHA. 
they'd come out to our job sites and they'd shut us down. A lot of times the reason they do that is because we were in these brand new subdivisions that had no streets. It was just mud everywhere, water standing everywhere from rains and things. And we had extension cords running through the water, through the mud, plugged into all these outlets, and there was no grounds on those cords. And OSHA would come out there and say, we're shutting this down. They'd, they'd take all our cords, and we're like, hey, we're trying to work. Well, you got, you're not going to do it unless you get grounded, because otherwise there's going to be a big problem. And that's the reason why so many Christians struggle in their lives, because they're not grounded in the Word of God, in the doctrines of the Word of God. Listen, preaching and teaching was not the only activity of the church. Notice letter B, we can also grow together through devoted fellowship, because the Bible says the church continued not only in the apostles' doctrine, but read on, and in fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. You know what that means? There was a spiritual unity among them. There was a focus among them. 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, if we're going to get together and have fellowship, the only way to have true biblical fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Look, if whatever you're doing, and you want to call it fellowship, if God the Father and God the Son would not feel welcome there, then it's probably not the right kind of fellowship. Because if we're going to fellowship what is pleasing to God... We have to do that which is what God would have us to do. Christian fellowship, folks, listen, it's vital. Just like Bible doctrine, there has to be a balance. It can't be all doctrine and no fellowship or all fellowship and no doctrine. There has to be a balance, and Christian fellowship is vital for Christian growth. We become more like the people that we spend time with. If you go out there and spend most of your day, most of your life with worldly people, guess how you're going to be? Worldly. But if you spend a lot of your time around Christian people, iron sharpens iron. Spend time with the right kind of people. And that's why God's given us a church family. You know what the church should be in your life? And I hope it is. It should be the center for encouraging fellowship and also helpful accountability in our lives. And so the third purpose tonight, after loving God, and the church was doing that, they were fulfilling that purpose, they were growing together, but let's read on tonight because the last purpose of the church is to be serving others. See, the members of the church of Jerusalem, you know what they were doing? Serving one another. And they were not just doing it in word. They were doing it in deed. Their actions backed up the words that they had. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Look again at what the Bible says in verse 44. It says, And all that believed, now, who would you say that is? Who's all that believed? That's Christians, right? It's not talking about unsaved people. So it says, all that believed, verse 44, were together. I wonder if this was a Baptist church. That means they agreed on the carpeting. They agreed on the chairs. They agreed on the paint. They agreed on everything. Look, they were together. You know who, who wants to divide us? The devil. But you know what God wants to do? He wants to unite us. And you know what the Bible does? It unites us as the people of God. So watch this. If we love God, we're growing together, 
And as we grow together, guess what we're going to do? We're going to serve others. Are you with me? You understand how they're all connected tonight? So here's the church. They were all together. Read on in verse 44. It says they had all things common and they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had what? Need. And they continued daily with one accord. There it is again. One accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, and here's another great phrase, singleness of heart. It wasn't what this guy wanted, what this guy, singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people that the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. You know, you know how God will bless a church? When we're all together, when we're serving others, when we're in one accord, when we have a singleness of heart. Do you get it tonight? How important it is that we love God, that we're growing together, and then we are serving others. There definitely was the spirit of serving in these early churches, especially the church in Jerusalem. Listen, even to the point of their own personal loss. Did you see that in the passage? It says they took their own possessions and they sold them. Now, the Bible doesn't advocate this. The Bible doesn't say, now that you're a Christian, you have to go out and sell everything you have and give all your money away. It, it, there is no precedent for that, but there was the spirit of wanting to meet needs of people. The spirit was there. And that's the spirit that God blesses because, because of this spirit, the Lord was adding to the church. Look what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. How many of you are saved tonight? Then you're, look here, you're a partaker of the manifold grace of God. And because of that, watch this, because God's been good to you, God wants you to be good to others. See, the, the gift goes on. And so notice tonight that God wants us to use those gifts, those opportunities, those abilities that he's given to us to serve other people. Well, how do we do that? We have to do that, first of all, by discovering our place in ministry. The Bible says in Romans 12, as for as we have many members in one body, and when we talk about a body, we're talking about the church. Specifically tonight, for us, it would be the Bible Baptist Church. That's this body of believers, a local New Testament church. And it says all members have not the same office. In other words, there are different distinctions, different abilities, different opportunities. We call those spiritual gifts, pneumatikos, the Bible calls them. God, by his Holy Spirit, has given different gifts. The gift that God's given to me may not be the gift that God gave to Brother Hector. And the gift that God gave to Brother Hector may not be the gift that God gave to Romanita. But God's given to each Bible-believing Christian spiritual gifts and abilities. And the Bible says, look at this, so we, the body, being many, are one body in Christ. And every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Look, you can't say, well, I wish I had what he has. And she says, well, I wish I had what her, she had. No, no, no. God, by his Holy Spirit, gave you the spiritual gifts that he gave to you. And it says here, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, 
with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now, look, that's a lot right there in the Word of God, and we won't take the time, but if you study not only Romans 12, but 1 Corinthians 12, you'll find these are the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the Word of God. Now, some people confuse these spiritual gifts that are given to believers with what the Bible describes as temporary sign gifts. Those sign gifts were given to the apostles, and when the last of the apostles passed off the scene, those spiritual gifts, they ceased. Now, I don't have time to get into that, but you can study that out, 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 and a few other places, but these spiritual gifts today exist with every Bible-believing Christian. In other words, what I'm saying tonight from the Bible is that you, whether you know it or not, you have received some spiritual gifts from God. Now, why did God give you spiritual gifts? To use them for the edifying of the body, to build up the body. And God gave you those gifts to use for Him, to serve other people with. See, there is a ministry place for every member of the church. And so what you need to do is ask God. Ask the Lord to help you to understand what spiritual gift that God has given to you. How many of you have ever taken, I, I've given many of them out, how many of you have ever taken what I call the spiritual gifts test? Anybody in here at all? Raise your hands. Okay, so not, not a lot of you. I actually have about 25 copies of this. Now this isn't, it isn't rocket science, it, 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 but I do think it's a, a, a biblical gauge that would help you to identify what your spiritual gifts are. How many of you think it's, it would be a good thing to know what your spiritual gifts are, right? Now, it's all explained in here, and after we're done, if you'd like to, I'll give you a copy of this, but it explains it. It's self-explanatory, but if you have some questions, I'll go over it with you. But here's the thing is, you have to be truthful with yourself and with God when you take it, or it's not going to be accurate. Now, why would I do that? Why would I? Because again, this is, this is based on what the scriptures teach. Why do I give these out? Because I think it's important for us to understand. My pastor asked me years ago, about 13, uh, actually it's been about 15, 16 years ago, he asked me, he said, Brother Keeley, what, what, what do you believe your spiritual gifts are? And I'm going to be honest with you. I looked at him and said, um, um, I didn't know. And so I took the time after he asked me to identify, because watch this, one of the spiritual gifts is teaching. So if God's gifted someone with the gift of teaching, what do you think that person should do? Teach. I watched Nazarel come. She comes in here with her little cart, man. She's got this cart loaded down. She's got puppets. She's got chocolate bars. She's got this cardboard cutout. She's got all this. And, and I said, what are you doing? And she says, I'm getting ready to teach. Man, she was so excited. She went back there. And I slipped back there a couple times. She didn't know I was watching. I was peeking around the corner. And I mean, she's teaching these kids. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what that woman's spiritual gifts are, but I can tell you one thing. She's been given the spiritual gift of teaching. Now, one of the gifts is, is ruleth. Now, that doesn't mean that you go around bossing everybody around. The gift of ruling means really kind of the gift of administration. How about, this is one that, that I know when God was giving me my spiritual gifts, this is not one of the gifts that he gave me, was the, the gift of mercy. God didn't give me the gift of mercy. 
But you know what else I like about this spiritual gifts test? Watch this. It not only helps you identify what your spiritual gifts are, but it also lets you know the weak areas in your life spiritually. So guess what I, listen, whether you agree with me or not, I have been trying with God's help to work on that area of mercy in my life. Because remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful. Do you know what happens when we utilize the spiritual gifts that God's given to us? Guess who we're more like when we use those spiritual gifts? Jesus. You see, and this would be a great thing, is to know your spiritual gifts and ask God to show you. Look, the Lord desires that you, you discover a way that you can serve Him, and you do that through the local church. Folks, listen, there's ways, and I'm, I'm not trying to get you to work for the church, but listen, God saved you not to sit in the pew. He saved you to serve, to serve other people. Folks, there's enough Christians sitting in the pews or in the chairs it, it, just like vacation Bible, we could have never done vacation Bible school if it wouldn't have been for 50 adults every night saying, hey, look, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Not everybody can be a preacher, but somebody can scrub the toilets, somebody can work the nursery, somebody can sing in the choir, somebody can be a greeter, somebody can be an usher, somebody can be a part of the hospitality team, somebody can be a part of the janitorial team, and somebody can help with landscaping, somebody that sign that you pass out there when you come in the parking lot, somebody changes that sign every week. Somebody could say, hey, listen, I'll change that sign. There is plenty of things that you can use your spiritual gifts for, but we have to discover what our place is in ministry. Why? Because when you discover your place in ministry, then guess what you do? You serve others with it. Look at letter B. Every Christian then should develop a passion for the lost. Hey, Jesus himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What did Jesus have? He had a passion for people to get saved. Christ didn't, look, God is not willing that any would perish. Did you hear that tonight? That means those in Nineveh. That means those in Iraq. That means the rocket man. That means everybody. Listen, God doesn't want anybody to go to a Christless eternity and because people mean that much to him, then guess what? They should mean that much to us. We should have a passion for the lost. Like Andrew, look at John 1. The Bible says, then one which heard John speak, followed him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You know, we always make much about Peter because there's a couple books in our Bible, First and Second Peter, that bear his name. But listen, if it wouldn't have been for an Andrew, there probably would have never been a Peter. I mean, the Bible says here, he first findeth his brother Simon, and he said unto him, we found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, and he brought him to Christ. He was a personal soul winner for his own brother. See, each one of us, I guarantee you tonight, you know someone in your family, friends, co-workers. You have a circle of people that you know that the person sitting next to you, that your spouse does not have the opportunity for, to reach the way you could reach them. Every one of us has someone that we can reach. And in addition to that, not only witnessing to people in our circle, but we need to be a part of developing a passion with our church family, not only in our community, but around the world. Remember what Jesus said? We oftentimes call it the Great Commission. One of those references, Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, Go ye into how much of the world? 
all. And do what? Preach the gospel to every what? Creature. Interesting, God chose the word creature there. To every creature. I mean, they might have pink hair. They might have a mohawk. They might have tons of piercing. They might be young. They might be old. doesn't matter. He says, preach the gospel to every one of them. And look, if you are not a part of a missions program, if you're not giving so that the gospel could go around the world, folks, listen, get in on it. Why? Because it's God's plan to see people saved. Charles Spurgeon said, the man who is all aglow with love to Jesus finds little need for amusement. He has no time for trifling. He is in dead earnest to save souls and establish the truth and enlarge the kingdom of his Lord. <clears throat> Listen, tonight, the church that we're talking about, the Bible describes, it's not a social gathering place. I'll tell you what the church is. It's the institution that Jesus created to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ, to reach this world, and because of that, we have an eternal purpose. And tonight, I've given you what the three purposes of the church are. What's the first one? Loving who? Loving God. What's the second one? Growing what? Growing together. And what's the third one? Serving others. And listen, folks, as we love God, we will grow together. And as we grow together, then what are we going to do? We'll serve others. May you and I fulfill our purpose as a part of his church. Let's bow our heads this evening with our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. Just a simple invitation. I'm not going to ask you if you want to come to the altar tonight. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar. But I am going to ask you this. Would you examine your heart tonight? Would you ask yourself this simple but maybe convicting question tonight? Am I fulfilling my part of the purpose that God has for this church? Remember, we just read the church is one body, but it has many members. Now think about this with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The early church had singleness of heart. They were in one accord. They were together. And that's why God blessed them. And I think you're like I am tonight. I desire God to bless our church. But the only way God's going to do it is if we're all on the same page. If we're all together. If we all have singleness of heart. In other words, we're all loving God. We're all growing together. And we're all serving others. If you've not been doing that, then please, with God's help, get in on God's purpose so that God can bless not only your life, but bless this church, that we might be able to fulfill His purpose 
in this area. Lord, I thank you for this evening. Thank you for the Word of God, the richness. Lord, I thank you for the church. Tonight it's been really more of a teaching time, but it's been a Bible lesson. I pray that you'd help us to know the purpose that you have saved us and left us here for. Help us to be doing our part. In Jesus' name we pray.